Hello and welcome to the RI Science Podcast. This month, a panel of psychologists and sociologists discuss why conspiracy theories arise, how they can affect people's political beliefs, and how we might better communicate with the people who believe in conspiracies. We held this event at the RI way back in October 2018, in partnership with independent news website, The Conversation. Here's their science editor, Miriam Frankel, explaining a bit about what they do and introducing our panellists. Yeah, so welcome everyone. As we've heard, my name is Miriam. I'm science editor for The Conversation. And The Conversation is entirely written by academics and edited by a team of journalists. So it's an effort to bring the voices of reliable experts out there to a general audience. And today we're talking about conspiracy theories, which seems topical. Um, um, But we'll start with just hearing um, from you guys who you are and why you're here today. So we can start with uh, Harry Dyer. He is a lecturer at the University of East Anglia, and he once watched an entire Flat Earth convention for his research. I did, yeah. Um, And my research specializes in the field of digital sociology, which at its broadest is an attempt to try and understand what technology and what computers and what digital spaces are doing to society, what uh, dynamics are being exacerbated online, what might be minimized online, what new social dynamics are being created on the internet. That's where my research started, is trying to understand what identity is online, trying to understand uh, how these websites are affecting what we present as our identity, what we consider to be social, how we're acting and interacting. Very quickly, I morphed into uh, the field that I now lecture in, in education, starting to think about what the internet was doing to knowledge, issues around fake news and... uh, rise in alternative facts and facts that might not be facts and different understandings of facts, the rise of Wikipedia as a reliable source of knowledge, despite the fact that it's easily edited and written 90% by white males in the global north. It's still seen as this source of trustworthy knowledge. There's a lot lot of issues online around what is knowledge, what is truth, and what is fact. And you can't spend too long looking at that without ending up thinking about flat earth which is where I ended up, it seems sort of naturally, watching the Flat Earth Convention in the UK this year. Um, It it was a fascinating event, full of people who uh, believe in the Flat Earth, people who are sceptical about it, young children, a bit like what we have here today, and uh, and what you might consider traditional Flat Earthers, more... uh, uh, what, what I think Donald Trump called men who sit in their basement playing with computers. That was, that was well represented, but also quite a diverse room of people who believe the Earth is flat. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about what I think the Flat Earth Movement means for education, for knowledge, during this uh, panel, and I'm happy to ask, answer any questions. I do have my article up on the conversation about it, if you'd like to read about it. It was written two days afterwards when I was still unpacking what the convention was. I think I'm still kind of detoxing from it. Um, But yeah, so my interest lies in trying to understand what this means for education, what it means for society writ large, and how it's affecting knowledge in the 21st century. Great, thank you very much. Um, Next, we've got Alexandra Chihotska. Uh, She is a senior lecturer in political psychology at the University of Kent. 
so I am a political psychologist, as Miriam mentioned, uh, and uh, that means that I try to mostly understand political processes, political behavior, political attitudes in the society. And I approach this from a psychological perspective. So we're basically trying to understand what psychological predispositions, psychological characteristics, and how different uh, circumstances that affect human psychology affect also political uh, processes. So I am mostly interested in conspiracy theories associated with political beliefs or political events. So less so flat earthers or lizard people, although we know that people who believe this sort of conspiracy theories also tend to believe the more politically laden conspiracy uh, theories. Uh, so things we look at are, uh, say, beliefs about uh, 9-11 or uh, something that is uh, fairly interesting to political psychologists is the consequences of the uh, Smolensk crash which happened in Russia 2010 in which a Polish president, his wife and about a hundred other high officials died. So what sort of consequences this might have for political processes in Poland and Eastern Europe uh, more broadly. So we're basically trying to see how uh, conspiracy theories can be used, say, to win elections or to sway people's political uh, convictions. So we're not really trying to discuss whether the conspiracy theories might be true or not. So we're basically, it's not even uh, obviously feasible from our perspective. But we're trying to understand who and why uh, might believe, believe uh, these different uh, uh, conspiracies, uh, under which conditions would that belief be heightened, and then what consequences does it have for political behavior, for the society um, at large. So uh, we're trying to, as I mentioned, understand this in the context of political elections, but also in the context of different relations between uh, various social groups or, uh, or, for example, various various ethnic and national groups in the society. So we're interested in uh, also in so-called conspiracy stereotypes. So uh, a belief that certain groups of people conspire against, say, uh, a broader national group or our uh, um, country specifically. So a kind of stereotypical conspiratorial group in the literature has always been... Uh, Jews, but we so we looked a lot at whether that could be linked to anti-Semitism and other forms of prejudice. Uh, but we we're also interested in how people, whether people have similar convictions about uh, other uh, nationalities or other ethnicities. So generally, trying to understand what sort of political function uh, conspiracy theories uh, have and whether they can meaningfully affect our uh, political reality. Great, thank you. And last, we've got Turkay Nefes, who is a research fellow of sociology at the University of Exford, uh, Oxford. Uh, Oxford, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for being here. And uh, basically, yes, I mean, I, I'm a socio political sociologist working on um, conspiracy theories. And the main, I, I basically look at two questions the, um, why conspiracy theories exist and how they impact people's political views. So like my research, I, I've done research around these issues um, and I'm originally from Turkey and most of my research focuses on Turkey and Turkish politics. And Miriam actually sent us a few questions like, um, why did, you, did I study conspiracy theories? Like, uh, actually, like, um, I have a very short and real story that's quite funny and I think probably it is, it's a sense that why you are here as well. Like, um, I'm, I'm from Istanbul, and in my neighborhood, there's not... People, like, it's a lower-class lower neighborhood where people <coughs> do not tend to read. 
And basically, well, I was playing backgammon, and I found my, my friend was reading this book. And I asked him, what, like, what was this book? And the book is called The Master, White Turks, Big Secret. So, and I said, what is this all about? And then he, the guy told me all about this kind of how Jews like, secretly ruled Turkey without us knowing about this. And then I have seen this book all around the neighborhood, in different places, in the barber shop, in the coffee shop. And then as a politi mass, uh, political science master student, I said, okay, I'm going to check how people read this and to what extent they are influenced by them and if they are dangerous. So then from my master's degree onwards, basically pretty much I worked on these issues, like uh, what causes people to believe in conspiracy theories and how, how it changed people's attitudes. And for example, like I, I worked on conspiracy theories, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories in Turkey. And to that end, I interviewed like prominent conspiracy theory authors to understand, to, to, I asked them basically, why do you write these books? And I also interviewed various readers of these books and asked them how they interpret the conspiracy theories. And I also talked to political party representatives to tell them, okay, so there is this popular conspiracy theories, what do you make of it? To understand different levels of perception of conspiracy theories and the effects of these accounts. And also I conducted a historical analysis of conspiracy theories in the 20th and 21st century about Jews in Turkey. I looked at all the books written and I tried to understand which years conspiracy theories were more common compared to others to, um, and try to find some of the factors that influenced this. And then also like a, like a, I, I still work on this issue. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow in Oxford. And like, um, for example, I, I currently I look at macro-level communication of conspiracy theories. I look at the parliamentary proceedings in Turkey and see how people, how political parties, like, uh, talk about when they use these conspiracy theories and to what extent these accounts have policy implications. And my work, also, like, I look at the online forum websites to, to, to understand what people make of all these conspiracy theories. And my work also includes Taiwanese politics, but I'm not going to mention that now. And I'll, I'll just give you a taste of what I found in, a, in two slides, basically. And from my point of view, and this is what I will say, there are two factors that lead people towards conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories become common because of two factors. If they touch upon common anxieties, it could be migrants, it could be economy, anything, and if they are proposed by influential figures, influential figure could be anyone. It's not like a prominent politician, but it could be someone you trust, someone who, like, uh, who, whose word you really give importance. So, and in Turkey, when I look at this in, Tur in Turkish politics, I understand why conspiracy theories are always common. Because there are two, there's a common anxiety about the um, dismemberment of the country by, by minorities. And also, um, there's an there are usually politicians as influential figures use this, use this kind of fear of dismemberment. And, and if you say why there's a fear about dismemberment in a, in a modern country, it's because of its Ottoman past. Uh, Ottoman Empire predecessor of the Turkish Republic basically collapsed in 200 years and it shaped quite the, like, um, it created various traumas in Turkish political elite. Because you could see in the map, like actually like it was basically like uh, wars against colonial powers and minorities were kind of like, um, like uh, for 200 years, it's, it means that generations and generations of people and politicians and army personnel were working on this. And what is the result is today in Turkey, there is a very, still very common fear about the past 
there's like uh, the fear is the col- not colonial powers now, but like uh, the the powerful nations, like Western nations, and also like uh, some of the minorities could be conspiring against the country, and you could see the traces of that in the actual first line of Turkish national anthem. Like it starts with "Fear not, for the crimson flag that proudly ripples in this glorious twilight shall not fade." Basically, there's an anxiety which is, and the the, the national anthem starts to like soothe it basically. And in my research, basically what I found is politicians in important events tend to use these accounts. For example, there was in 2013 there was a Gezi Park protest. It was the biggest protest moment in Turkish political modern Turkish political history. And the government came up with a conspiracy theory saying that this is basically sponsored by like a global powers to undermine Turkish Turkish economic progress. And basically me and a few research assistants we looked at um, how people online responded to this. And we looked at people's political orientations online as well from their, uh, what they said online, like uh, from their profiles. And what we found is basically, it's quite simple, like uh, if they support the government, they, be- they support the conspiracy theory. If they don't support the government, they, they don't, like, uh, they, they reject the conspiracy theory. So what, what, what is this conclusion is basically, people use conspiracy theories. They could be common, but people are quite rational beings and they tend to use conspiracy theories not in a passive way, but in a very active way. I mean, obviously not always, but in, in, in the research I, I saw that people use it very actually rationally, although they are irrational accounts. And there is one philosopher from, like a Spanish philosopher from Middle Ages. Whenever I go to Spain, I, I show the, the, the photo and nobody recognizes. So like, a, I think the Spanish philosopher only I know. So. Um, he says in his book, he's like the Machiavelli of Spain, uh, better mad with the crowd than staying all alone, because when good sense stands alone, it will be taken as madness. So I think it, it, it quite shows itself with the people's perception of conspiracy theories. People stick with their group and stick with their interest in, 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 in their beliefs in conspiracy theories. And I think oh, that's what I want to say. Thank you. We heard a little bit there about why people might believe in conspiracy theories, um, but on a more kind of general psychological level, I mean, could there be something about just our brains wanting to find patterns? Because there have been a few studies showing that, you know, if you present people with a completely random sequence, number sequence, a lot of people do see patterns in it, even though there isn't a pattern, it was just completely random. Um, so could that be part of it, that people just want to be able to explain things and see a pattern even when, when you just have something unex, unexplicable in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexandra, if we start with you. Um, yeah, definitely. So we, um, in psychology, by doing survey research and experiments, we try to understand more broadly, as I mentioned earlier, why people believe in conspiracy theories, various conspiracy conspiracies not necessarily associated to a specific topic. And generally, uh, one of the reasons is a specific uh, way of processing information. So those people who uh, feel that uh, they, um, those people who want to see patterns in their environment or have a tendency to p- perceive patterns where they don't exist, be it in numbers or people who believe in the pa- paranormal, in magical thinking, are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories as well. And we think it's because sometimes uh, that 
helps them feel that uh, in chaos that is hard, is too complex to make sense of, there is something that can be uh, simplified, simplified the information. Now, another reason uh, that people tend to believe in conspiracy theories um, has to do with so-called existential motives. So basically, people need to feel um, uh, that they're in control uh, of their uh, environments, that they feel uh, safe, so uh, to some extent. So, for example, uh, we found that people who are or feel that they're... Uh, not in control over their lives, tend to believe that there is someone else organizing, uh, uh, for example, rules of the game, rules of the society. So someone else is pulling the strings. So basically, if we feel that we do not have control over our own, own environment, environment, we want to believe that someone else has control, right? So that might be someone who's involved in a uh, broader conspiracy. That can be responsible for why we can't really get a good grasp of reality. So could that be because there is more hope that you could change things if there is actually a group that could be overturned or... Potentially, but although uh, rather we find that these beliefs are usually, do not necessarily help us cope with this uh, needs to be in control. Rather, they make us feel even more powerless, right? So to some extent, we argue that conspiracy theories uh, are... Um, uh, there's sort of a defensive process that mm. is futile, right? So uh, we're kind of leaning towards a belief that doesn't necessarily help us cope with what uh, <coughs> we're trying to cope with psychologically. So another, for example, uh, area that we've identified of uh, uh, motivations that drive people to embrace conspiracy beliefs are various uh, social motives associated with how uh, we feel about ourselves, whether we have high or low self-esteem, and how we feel about different groups that we belong to. And uh, there is some evidence showing that um, people who have a high need to prove that they are better than other people or that uh, their groups they belong to are better, that, but others just don't see this the same way, tend to believe that there are conspiracies uh, against uh, them or against different groups that they belong to that undermine uh, their efforts, right? So, uh, for example, if we feel that uh, our country uh, is amazing, but for some reason we are not getting the recognition that is uh, due to us, we believe that this is because some other countries are conspiring um, against us, right? So uh, some other, uh, uh, or some groups within the society are conspiring against our group. So there's a variety of motives and uh, it seems, seems that there isn't one single motivation mm. that uh, uh, breeds conspiracy beliefs. It's, it's a set of different psychological predispositions that makes people more prone to embrace them. Um, and, and having watched the whole uh, Flat Earth Convention, yeah. does this ring true to you? Yeah, it, it does. The, the, in particular in the Flat Earth community, <coughs> it seems quite heavily tied to... Uh, religious beliefs and to uh, fundamental Christianity, a sort of literalist mm. reading of the Bible. The Bible says there are four pillars of the earth. There must be four pillars holding up the earth. The earth is flat. They, they tend to um, view that they're being lied to or manipulated in some way or another. And it, it, it seems uh, that these are strange beliefs, that these are fringe beliefs. But there are other conspiracy theories that suggest that you know, you can end up down those rabbit holes quite quickly. I don't know if people know about the Mandela effect. Um, it's, it's, it's in essence an idea that a large group of people believe and remember vividly Nelson Mandela's funeral in 1980. Other people vividly believe and remember a TV program called The Bernstein Bears 
that never existed. Other people vividly remember a, uh, a film from the 1990s starring Sinbad the Comedian called Shazam that never existed. They have this sort of group collective memory of this event and their brain is lying to them and about the existence of this film or the existence of this TV programme or watching this funeral in 1980 that didn't happen. Uh, somehow when they start having this shared memory of this event, they start to look for reasons why that happened and, and rather than saying, oh, it's a, a very strange collective memory that we've built together, the suggestion is the men in black wiped everyone's memory but mine, or I've come to a time stream where the only difference is that a film didn't exist in this time stream that existed in the other one. So they, the attempt to try and understand why they have a false memory, why something in their brain exists that shouldn't exist, leans on uh, uh, believing that you are wrong or believing that everything around you is incorrect, and then you build the theories up from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, could there be something in like our evolutionary history that could help us explain why we're so fond of conspiracy theories? Could it help us get any advantages? Jan Willen van Proyen, who's also a psychologist working on conspiracy theories, suggests that there is indeed an evolutionary advantage, right? So basically he says that because people evolved living in groups, uh, they were often had to prote protect themselves from actual conspiracies. So other members of other groups, other tribes, for example, getting together and conspiring against them, right? And now we're faced with the dilemma that we can, uh, there could be, so let's assume there's a situation in which they either is or isn't a tribe that is conspiring against us, right? We're not sure which one is true. Now, our choice is to either believe this is true and then maybe risk that it won't happen and we're over-preparing for an event that is not, uh, not, uh, not never going to uh, take place, or we can assume that it's uh, not the case and go on with our lives in our you know, tribe. And then if another tribe does attack us, then we will uh, basically bear enormous in, in costs, right? We might mm -hmm. lose our lives, lose our resources and so on. So basically he argues that uh, kind of over uh, uh, preparing for a conspiracy is evolutionary adaptive, right? Because we might lose some time and effort to try, I don't know, maybe fortify our our village, but at least we are uh, preparing for the wars. Well, if those people or those groups that uh, would basically not assume that something bad might happen to them uh, wouldn't necessarily obviously survive, right? So basically making this um, uh, error can help us, even if it's an error, can help protect our uh, livelihood. So in that sense, uh, basically, we might have evolved to sometimes prepare for uh, things and threats that don't actually exist. Yeah. Um, even just spotting patterns of a lion hiding in the bushes. Exactly. Better to be over-prepared. Yes, so basically, increased perception of threat can help yeah. us protect ourselves from, yeah. you know, whether that these threats are or aren't there. Um, what common traits do people who believe in conspiracy theories share? So, um, you know, when it comes to things such as intelligence, <laughs> rationality, um, political beliefs or religion, um, are there any kind of common factors in that way? Would you like to start? Yeah, I think, like, as I said, like, um, I try to, like, uh, in my research, what I saw is political interests and orientations make a lot of difference. I mean, like, there's one case we studied, like... Um, it was in, in 2005 uh, in Taiwan, there was an um, election 
And just one day before the election, there is, there is this pro-Western green candidate who was expected to lose. He was holding the power, but he was expected to lose. And then there was pro-Chinese blue candidate. And then what happens is, like a pro-Western candidate gets, like attempt, there was an ass attempted assassination, he gets shot, he doesn't die, and he wins the election at the, at the next day. So what we did is, like, we just looked at the online forum, what people talked during this process, just be, like uh, after he was shot and after the election results were, were released. So what we found is very simple, like uh, it was quite like, um, you know, people who were pro-green, as soon as he was shot, everybody said, this is China or like a pro-Chinese candidate. He, they are trying to like um, assassinate him to get rid of him. And then, and then pro-blue, the other, the other like, side says, no, we, like, uh, it is just a lunatic. Probably someone who just kind of like is a, is a lunatic who, who did this. And then green wins the election. And right after that, then pro-blue like, uh, saying that, oh, like, uh, actually this is a conspiracy because he just faked his kind of like assassination so, to win sympathy votes, to win the elections. So, and then like, uh, greens changed their, like, also, they also reversed the table. And then they basically say, no, like, uh, it's a lunatic. So basically, you could see, actually, it's a kind of like a, it's a political interest and orientations as people are intelligent beings, make yeah. a lot of difference. Mm. And that's what I saw in my research. I mean, what did you see, uh, Harry, about the kind of rationality and the, the types of arguments? Um, the, the flat earth community, I, I will stick up for them a little bit here, are incredibly intelligent. Uh, they know more about science than the scientists that were at the convention. There were three PhD <coughs> students studying specific areas of astrophysics, and there was a panel. They had a debate between these physicists and the uh, flat earthers, and they knew their science. They knew the papers inside and out. They could tell you everything about Foucault's pendulum. They, they knew a hell of a lot about the science. They were critical about scientific institutions. What they tried to do throughout the entire event was uh, rationalize their belief that the Earth is flat through scientific experimentation, through observation, through studies, through different bits of experiment. It's not just random guys throwing themselves up in rockets, although they do exist in the flat Earth movement. It's also people who are engaging with science but distrust scientific institutions, the institutions that have rejected them or that have... Uh, that have quite an insular understanding and that will continue to throw out the same ideas. They view themselves as using science in a way, reclaiming science from scientific institutions. So, you know, the, the, there is the idea that they might be incredibly stupid for believing the Earth is flat, and it's understandable how you reach that conclusion, uh, but they do understand their science, and they look just like any of you. So there you go. <laughs> This is, I mean, this is certainly possible in the context of uh, people who are very engaged in the conspiracy movements. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do in, in our psychological research is that, with some exceptions, we rarely talk to people at the kind of extremes of conspiracy beliefs. We try to see who in the general population, if you will, would be more or less likely to believe in conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. And what we uh, broadly do find is that levels of education are lower among conspiracy believers and that levels of analytical thinking are also lower. So analytical thinking seems to be associated with... Uh, with uh, 
lower likelihood of embracing conspiracy theories. But that's, I mean, in the general population, not necessarily mm. among the sort of hardcore mm -hmm. uh, believers. Now, when it comes to political orientation, it's a bit complicated, and it's actually one of the biggest debates in uh, political science, psychology, social science uh, uh, these days, because some people find that conspiracy beliefs are stronger among those people who are... Uh, um, right-leaning, so more conservative uh, people uh, have stronger belief in conspiracies. Others are saying that it's more at the extremes and it really depends who's uh, in power and who's lost the election. So Joe Szczynski talks has this theory about conspiracies are for losers and he mm -hmm. says that basically those who lost in, say, last election, would be more likely to embrace conspiracy uh, beliefs uh, about politics, for example, right? Because that's the way that they could explain why they didn't come into power. Now, in the US, that mm -hmm. tends to be the case. We looked at how conspiracy beliefs changed uh, in relation to Brexit, for example, yeah. and we found that while um, Leave voters were predicting uh, that there would be uh, so, sort of that the referendum might be rigged and that there might be some sort of uh, conspiracies trying to uh, basically undermine Brexit efforts, right? So uh, basically rigged against uh, leavers. Uh, that their beliefs about the election, the referendum being rigged, disappeared after the outcome because obviously that went in their favor. But there wasn't really much uptake on the remainers' uh, side, Right, so there wasn't really much uh, belief suddenly among uh, uh, remainers that there would be some uh, uh, something wrong with the referendum. So it seems to be a bit more complicated and yeah. context dependent. And in some countries, we see that this is more uh, a domain of the left or the right. In other countries, we see that this is more the extremes. In but what so about U.S. that we mentioned? Donald Trump won. Right. So yes. Yeah. And. Yeah. Well, yes, and he still. So he doesn't necessarily seem that the, ref, the the referendum was rigged, right? But he, sorry, that the election was rigged. Yeah. But he does seem to believe in other yeah, uh, yeah, conspiracy yeah. theories. And the same thing happens, uh, for instance, in Poland, where Law and Justice Party, which is now in power, used to believe in this, there being a conspiracy be behind the Smolensk crash, and hasn't really abandoned that after they won the election. I mean, there are reasons to believe. Uh, related to what I was talking about earlier, why people who are more conservative would be more likely to embrace conspiracy theories. And this has to do with this uh, threat management and intolerance of uncertainty uh, uh, issues. So conservative people tend to have higher reactivity to threats. So they're uh, more likely to respond to threatening stimulus even by blinking their eyes uh, more quickly than people who are uh, more uh, left-leaning. And we think that Conservative ideology, because it provides security and stability, tends to, helps them manage this, uh, uh, this uh, experiences, right? So if threat plays a big role in believing in conspiracy theories and conspiracy detection, that, that would suggest yeah. people that are more conservative would embrace this. But as I said, this is a big debate, and uh, studies on this keep coming out uh, all right. the time. More research needed. Yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've all been in this situation. You're at a party, uh, you start talking to someone you don't know very well and try to just find a topic and you might say something like, oh, last night I went to the cinema and I saw this new film, First Man, about Neil Armstrong's moon landing. And they say, oh yeah, but th those were totally uh, faked. <laughs> and so in that situation where you, you might not want to have a big argument, but you may want to challenge what they say, how do you go about that in a constructive way? So maybe not as extreme as a, a faking of the moon landing, but as someone who works in technology, uh, about 10 minutes into any conversation, the same question comes up, which is Facebook listening to me. Are they listening to my phone? Mm -hmm. I 
was Googling something the other day, or, or I was having a conversation down the pub with my friend the other day, and then I got an advert on my phone, and they must have been listening to me to know that, that I wanted to buy these pairs of, pair of shoes. I try and explain to them that you know, Facebook doesn't have to listen to you to know everything about you. You've given them a lot of information. You might be in their target demographic. You might be in a specific uh, targeted area that they are throwing these shoes at. A friend might have Googled them. You might have uh, interacted with someone else who has looked at these shoes and then it's been promoted to you. There are very, very many reasons for it. Those sorts of conversations I can and do regularly have. But, you know, when I try to talk to flat earthers about their beliefs, I, I, I don't think there's much common ground. There isn't yeah. much uh, space for common belief. If we can't agree on basic facts, I don't, I don't see how a conversation can go forward. So I try and understand their beliefs. I try and hear them out because they want to talk a hell of a lot about the flat earth when you interact with them. But there isn't any... They're not even beliefs about common facts, so I find it very hard to, to talk to them about that personally. Is yeah. it easier if you find some other common ground, like um, yeah. you support the same football team? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that's a way into it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried that. I always lean into the flat earth. Maybe I should just veer away yeah. a little bit from <laughs> that. Yeah. How would you guys handle uh, that? I kind of like um, I used to have this kind of like in in my early PhD years. I used to have this type that in every conference someone was some, now they don't exist or maybe they don't find me as a target, but there was always someone who at the end of the conference or something, because I was talking about conspiracy theories, coming next to me or like taking me to a kind of like a corner and then seeing me, these are like a conspiracy theories, they're just like a label, but it's just kind of these are critical thinkers, you know, like mm -hmm. all this thing. And I mean, it's a belief they have. And I mean, I'm quite pragmatic. I wouldn't challenge them if I don't know I can win the debate, <laughs> if, if I don't have the facts. So because, because it's their belief. So if I bring some other facts, then it, 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 could, it could take some time. So. I mean, I think, or from what we know as well, is that usually it's futile, right? Because as you mentioned, these people usually know way more about this topic mm. than you do. Mm. They thought about it and read about it way more, so you usually don't have all the facts. Uh, or you know the, the the facts that they believe in, uh, but the and some research shows that the more we try to convince uh, people that you know this conspiracy hasn't taken place, the more we look like part of the conspiracy and part of the establishment that is trying right. to hide this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult because any argument can be turned around and said, well, you're just buying, you know, buying into the same mainstream story, or you're part of the people who try to convince us that this is not the case. So. Um, and it's very difficult to change people's minds about conspiracy theories. They stick, like, like uh, and it's almost impossible. So what we are really trying to look more at is to try and, rather than targeting, rather than uh, changing people's minds about the conspiracy theory specifically, trying to maybe target the underlying psychological motivations that they have mm -hmm. to believe those. Mm -hmm. And so far that has proven a bit better to decrease some of the conspiracy beliefs. I mean, just as a follow-up, you mentioned analytical thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, could you, if you got people in your lab, you know, could you train them in certain ways of thinking that might help? So that's the, that's the assumption that because analytical thinking is associated with conspiracy beliefs, then, then 
uh, we can basically train people in analytical thinking to decrease it. And there's some evidence that this is the case. So um, actually, uh, Viran Swami and others did some experiments in which they tried to increase analytical thinking by uh, basically uh, inducing what they uh, call or they and others disfluency. So basically mm. trying to give people tasks uh, that would require them to process information in a, a more in-depth way. So for example, one acute manipulation uh, in, involves either presenting a piece of text to people in a normal font, you know, say Arial 11, you know, something very easily legible and pe something people are used to, versus uh, presenting a piece of text in a font that is very difficult to de decipher. And it seems that if people present, are presented with information that require them to process it in, uh, a bit more in depth, mm -hmm. for example, because it just uses a font that is somewhat different, that in itself can actually uh, decrease conspiracy beliefs. So basically, wow. uh, this sort of deeper processing of information seems to uh, be successful in, in slightly decreasing conspiracy beliefs. So this is some evidence that uh, basically trying to force people to, to process this in more depth helps. But this research is still in infancy, so we know very little about how to change okay. these. <laughs> um, does trying to debunk conspiracy theories just help spread them? So you, you, know, you repeat the myth, you know, vaccines do not cause autism, and you go away just thinking vaccines and autism. Mm. Is, what do you reckon? <clears throat> uh, I, I wonder this myself as, as someone who... Uh, is now being called upon more and more to talk about <laughs> flat earth if I am over-egging the importance of a group of people meeting in the UK to discuss the flat earth. Um, and certainly they are fringe beliefs and certainly uh, they go against the mainstream. I can understand that uh, there are problems with prioritising or, or talking about these ideas so publicly. Uh, I think they need to be discussed. I think they are... Uh, events like this are important for us to understand uh, the, why they are present at the moment and what it means to have these conspiracy theories um, so prevalent in our discussion and in our political discourse and social discourse. So I, I, I do see that we might be giving a bit too much oxygen to some of these rather strange beliefs, but at the same time, I think shining a light on them does, does help in some ways to... Uh, create knowledge and to, to challenge what, what's happening. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword in some ways. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a study, I think, by Nyhan, and he says, like, uh, I think it's, it's about myths. Like, if you talk about them, yes, you kind of spread them as well. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, I'm kind of, in my study, what I try to do is kind of, I look at the ones that are already popular. So, you know, like, uh, mm. when you focus on them, so it's just it's that I don't take... I don't spread them as well. But also, like, you could be a bit... I think if you, if you can really debunk them really solidly, I think you could go for it as well. So. Okay. Uh, Turkey also, um, if, in a few words, what is actually kind of the recipe of an effective conspiracy theory? I think, like, um, one... I think two, common anxiety and an influential figure. I mean, for example, I mean, let's say, like... Um, like here, like you know, in, in the UK recently there was Russian spies. There's a there's a fear, uh, there's an anxiety because of the news and stuff. Like for example, if Alexandra like a fucking issue, <laughs> so like suddenly says that Turkey is a Russian spy, he is dangerous. Then you would laugh, like you know, like like some of you do now. But if a guy with a, like a, which is which refers to common anxiety, but she's not influential figure like in that regard. 
And, but then if a, if, a, if a guy dressed up as a policeman enters the room, which is the influential figure, and tells that Turkey is a Russian spy, then you might just kind of like a, like a fastly leave the room. So I think in my, in, my, in my research also, I found that influential figure is a very important. Someone that needs to kind of, that you should trust, that you listen to, has to be there, referring to common anxiety. There's also, I mean, there's also some work talking about uh, people being especially likely to believe conspiracies about big influential events, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we have a, a, a major sociopolitical event, then that people tend to believe that that should probably have major complex causes, right? So the Smolensk uh, crash uh, is a good example of this. The official narrative is that it was due to several uh, fairly mundane factors that all came into play uh, and uh, resulted in this catastrophe. But people have this tendency to believe that if, uh, you know, almost 100 people died and, and such important uh, officials died in a plane crash, there must have been a, a bigger cause for this, mm -hmm. right? So people tend to think about big events having big important co uh, causes, and that's why they tend to, are more likely to believe uh, about conspiracies related to things like, you know, Princess Diana's death mm -hmm. or, uh, or the Smolensk crash or 9-11 and so on. So especially in the face of uncertainty and anxiety, mm -hmm. that's, when they, that's when they kind of tend to think there must be something bigger behind this. And also, is there such a thing as a harmless conspiracy theory? Mm, I was waiting for this question. <laughs> so, uh, of course there is. I mean, conspiracy theory is like, is like any other theory. I mean, some of the conspiracy theories turned out to be true. Like in Turkey, for example, in 1990s and 2000s, there was a conspiracy theory that there's a group of Islamic, Islamists, like a secret group, is going like, to uh, take control, uh, aiming to take control. And actually, in 2016, we saw the tanks. So it was like, a, by the time, you know, you don't believe, you, you'd say, oh, maybe they have, but then they are not that organized. You know, like, you always try to debunk it. I was one of them. I didn't believe that they could take it that far. But then I was there when they, they took the tanks out as well. Like, also in the United States, in the 1970s, for example, the Watergate scandal right. started as a conspiracy right. theory, mm. but it turned out to be real. Mm. So I think it is part of, I mean, I'm not like um, basically uh, like a, I'm not creating a like a base for all conspiracy theories, but some of them could be true. So you should approach it like any other theory, I think. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, uh, Stephen Lewandowski, who's also a, 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 he studies belief in science, but also conspiracy theories, usually highlights that in most cases when the conspiracy theories turn out to be true, they weren't uh, uh, they weren't discovered. These conspiracies were not discovered by people, you know. Uh, sitting in their basement, but by mainstream uh, journalists or mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, mainstream officials, right? So basically, and usually using sort of very typical ways of reasoning rather than some reasoning fallacies, which we know are related to conspiracy theories, right? So although you're right, and they're definitely true conspiracies, uh, they, it's very often, uh, they usually come into light by sort of, it, it starts as a fringe movement, but usually related to sort of mainstream methods, if you will, of discovering these conspiracy theories. What are the reasoning fallacies? Well, that's what we, what the ones we talked about already, for example, right? So, so beliefs that, you know, there, if there's a, I don't know, uh, random numbers, then there, there must okay, be a pattern, yeah, yeah. Then, for mm -hmm. example, right? So basically seeing, uh, uh, or uh, uh, basically not following basic rules of logic, right? So mm -hmm. that, uh, people don't necessarily uh, follow logical syllogisms in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, don't necessarily uh, assume this cause and effect in the mm. same way as we find in. Um, okay. 
uh, as we would in uh, normal kind of logic. Um, harmless conspiracy theories? Yeah, I was uh, talking at the back with uh, one of the organisers about the fact that conspiracy <laughs> theories used to be fun and that they're not anymore and that they've suddenly got quite angry and loaded with anti-Semitism and, and with uh, horrible beliefs. There might have been... I, I think maybe Bigfoot might be a little bit harmless. I still, mm -hmm. I still am a fan of, of the Bigfoot <laughs> conspiracy theories, so, yeah, maybe that one. Um, okay. And, <laughs> and are they on the rise, or does it just seem like that? I mean, is it the case that there are definitely there are more conspiracy theories, more people believing in them, or is it just that they become more mainstream, become more reported in the mainstream media and stuff that makes us think that? I think, I mean, if you can go, like, a, I think they are quite more visible because of the internet and all the age, mm. like, information is like spread in this with a higher speed. But I'm kind of not worried because also, like, a conspiracy, like false conspiracy theories and also accurate information is also spreading in the internet as well. So it's mm -hmm. like a, but then it's, I think, increases speed of learning for both, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this research shows that there hasn't really been much change, right, in the, uh, how many people believe in conspiracy theories. But as Turkay mentioned, uh, they're more available online and it's easier for people to find other people who also believe similar things. And we see that online people tend to you know, cluster and find the information they're looking for uh, already, right? So the sort of phenomenon of echo chambers in which if you believe in conspiracy theory, you start looking for it, usually you will find some other people who share your beliefs. So internet facilitates uh, information exchange between these people, right? But similarly, if you're uh, uh, believing the other narrative, you're going to find similar people who share your beliefs as well, right? So basically the internet facilitates uh, uh, the sort of polarization into uh, one or another camp, but not necessarily. Well, there hasn't been much evidence that it helps, that it increases uh, conspiracy beliefs mm -hmm. too much. So far, at least, we'll see what happens next. Uh, and what do you think, uh, what are the wider kind of effects of belief in conspiracy theories, for example, in, in politics uh, or um, in the mainstream debates? I mean, we're, we're seeing at the moment a, a huge rise in populism, a huge rise in, in cult of personality leaders. Look at what's happening in, in Brazil right now in their election and, and what's, uh, what's happened in America, what's happened here in the Brexit debate. The, the, the Gove quote of we've had enough of experts, I think, looms large over this discussion. It does seem to be that there is a move towards trusting emotion, trusting your gut, and not trusting... Uh, facts and figures, when we have words like alternative facts thrown out there, uh, just the concept of having an alternative fact undermines what a fact might be and, and how, it, how a fact is produced and who gets to produce it. The internet is a brilliant tool because it's allowed, in some ways, uh, a platform, not quite of equality, but where everyone has a voice and everyone is screaming very loudly and we're starting to pay attention to voices that we might not have paid attention to before, or, at the very least, as you were suggesting, um, what used to be a strange man down the pub talking to himself about the flat earth is now a group of people online who found each other talking about mm. the flat earth. So they found these spaces. Um, so we are seeing a rise in populism. We are seeing a decrease in trust in, in experts and in uh, science. And I wonder if... Um, I think events like this, I think the conversation as a website, I think spaces where scientists are learning to communicate in modern ways and learning to put out podcasts and to 
disseminate their findings in, in slightly more palatable ways are helping uh, in some ways to stem the tide of, of knowledge that's being produced online. But it's, it's, um, it's becoming quite a, a prominent issue in, in thinking about what the role of science is and how we are communicating science and how that's competing with uh, the platforms that people have now, the platform that Donald Trump has, the platform that, um, say, Freddie Flintoff, as an influencer, believes the Earth is flat, has, has, shown, has talked about his belief in the flat Earth, um, how we weigh that up against him as an influencer versus science and scientific beliefs. I mean, I think the political consequences could be like a fragmentation because like basically conspiracy theory are kind of like a quite value-laden narrative. So they kind of mm. like describe certain parts as evil, plotting something secretly. So in that regard, if you believe them, then you accuse certain people. So you, that increases fragmentation. And if you reject it, also it increases the fragmentation because it's a, it's a, it's a very strong narrative in itself. It's, it's a kind of, it's, it's more like a, like a moral laden. So in that regard, I think frag, political fragmentation is one of the things. And what kind of social and political conditions encourage the growth of conspiracy theories? Is, is what we're seeing now, will that encourage even more conspiracy theories or... I mean, there's, there's evidence showing that in times of anxiety and uncertainty, uh, people tend to uh, embrace conspiracy theories more. So any times, basically, in which there is uh, a sort of a crisis or uh, uh, an uncertain situation uh, could increase conspiracy beliefs. And um, there's, been re there's research showing that around time of elections, uh, usually conspiracies also tend to flourish. So part of it could be that parties that are expecting to lose are usually kind of predicting that there might be something wrong with the election. And this is, we feel, is sort of a, an ego-protective function, right? Because we're expecting we're not going to really uh, make it. We're already uh, finding excuses for why this happened. But part of it also might be associated with this idea that there are some sort of threats or threatening powers trying to overtake our country. So election time is always slightly unstable and predictable. Uh, and that might mean that uh, the conspiracy theories have a better sort of ground than to, to flourish. Mm. Is there anything to add on, on that? Conditions? Yeah, I mean... Um so uh, Weber, a German theorist, talked about science as increasingly demystifying the world for us, that we would have, the more science that we get, the more that we have a sort of common understanding. H.G. Wells wrote a book called The World Brain, in which he predicted if we had a shared source of knowledge like the internet, we'd all agree on everything because we'd, you know, we'd all have the facts right there and we'd start understanding the world. This idea that, that science and that knowledge and that the internet has led to demystification, I think, is, is quite the opposite of, of what's happening at the moment. I think we're finding, uh, with being told exactly how the world is and having science explaining more and more of the world to us, people trying to find uh, ways to mystify, re-mystify the world, I think might be my kindest analysis of what conspiracy <laughs> theories are doing. They're, they're, they're trying to put mystic ideas back into the world so maybe it's a reaction to being told that we have the answers to things is try and find mystical solutions but part of it is also i guess that in in some ways democratization of science and knowledge production right. mm -hmm. uh, backfired to mm -hmm. some extent yeah. mm -hmm. so uh there is some work showing that people who are 
uh, higher so-called conspiracy mentality, to, so the general propensity to believe in conspiracy theories, um, do not necessarily uh, differentiate between expert and not ex non-experts, right? So, for, for instance, uh, in some studies when people looked at uh, historical accounts, people high in conspiracy mentality uh, gave as much value to a historical study uh, produced by a mainstream academic versus someone who's a, a history hobbyist, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Well, people who are low in conspiracy mentality tend to uh, believe experts a bit more, right? So, so it seems that the conspiracy believers uh, tend to uh, basically not place much value of what sort of credentials someone has, whether they're you know, a university lecturer or not, and they believe that anybody can uh, legitimately produce science and knowledge, right? Which is why you would have, and uh, you mentioned that in the flat earth society, it's usually people who are not in the mainstream academia, of course, right? But they don't necessarily care, right? Anybody uh, can uh, mm. do this. And part of it is also because the conspiracy beliefs are often associated with uh, a sort of prejudice against people mm. that are in power in the mainstream, right? Mm. Which might explain that they then uh, lead to preference for uh, populist uh, mm. leaders who are representing the sort of outside mm. of the um, mm. political mainstream, right, on the political elite. Right. Uh, and whose responsibility is it to kind of counteract the spread of conspiracy theories? Mm. You know, do researchers need to do more? And what about universities? Um, should there be funding to do it? Mm. Has anyone got maybe any not ideas? to contract, but maybe to understand their impacts and like uh, causes? Mm -hmm. Because conspiracy theories, like I mean, I think everybody like uh, there are some that are dangerous that are common, but there are every in everyday life everybody conspires a bit. I mean, like I conspire <laughs> when I when I don't get the job that I applied for. So it's just kind of like uh, like if I especially if I'm shortlisted, I always find a conspiracy against me. So. <laughs> And it is relieving. So, like, uh, so I think it will always be there. But I think like we should study the ones that are quite common. And you know, like uh, for example, Nazi regime was the kind of like using conspiracy theories for horrendous means. So we should we should like uh, we should like maybe the research should be done to ones that are quite common about common anxieties and that could go wrong. Well, I think it's a big moral dilemma, actually, as sci that we face as scientists and as people who study this phenomenon. Uh, uh, because uh, on the one hand, we're really trying to understand conspiracy beliefs and understand why would people would be, uh, believe in things that are, for us, sometimes latently untrue, such as the uh, vaccine conspiracy theories, right? And as I mentioned at the beginning, we, we usually try to not make judgments about mm. whether the conspiracy theory is true or not. Especially in political realm, it's usually not really possible to, to, to a great extent. But at the same time, and we talked a little bit about consequences, but there are serious consequences that you mentioned at the beginning, right? Mm. We know that people exposed to uh, uh, anti-vaccine conspiracy theories are less likely to vaccinate their children. Mm -hmm. We know that people who are exposed to uh, conspiracy theories about climate change are less likely to reduce their carbon footprint. We know that people who are exposed about political conspiracy theories are actually less likely to be politically engaged because they feel powerless and they feel that what they do doesn't matter. So it has real-life consequences, mm. some of them very harmful for the society. So I think it's also important to at least try and understand how we can debunk some of these uh, conspiracy theories, and if some, uh, uh, in, if some strategies work. So, for instance, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to mean that we will, you know, f um, try to f 
change people's minds forcefully. But it can mean that we, for example, train uh, our students more in an analytical thinking, something that hopefully most of us can agree uh, could have beneficial consequences across broad uh, uh, types of uh, uh, attitudes. But maybe on one hand, it will at least help people make more informed decisions and understand the science behind certain things better. Huge responsibility, is it? Um, uh, look, I think science does have to be better at communicating. Uh, journal papers are great, and we get incentivized to write journal papers and to write chapters and to write articles. We don't necessarily get incentivized as much to engage with the public. Yeah. We've got to change as scientists and do better at communicating, and this is, again, why I think Conversation mm. and other websites are brilliant at this, allowing academics with our funny ways of speaking to talk to journalists who can help us communicate our ideas a little better. I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, so I think some of the responsibility does lie on, on, on scientists in thinking about how we can communicate effectively in the 21st century, how we can use Twitter effectively, things, little things like that that might help us get a, a more prominent voice. Great. Um, okay, well, uh, I hope there are some questions from you guys. All right, I think you were first over there. Yeah, just uh, an observation and a question. Just want to pick up Harry on a couple of things he said. So you said that the flat earthers understood science, but I'm really sorry, if they understood science, they wouldn't be flat earthers, because it's complete nonsense. And, you know, you also, you also described conspiracy theories at one point in the conversation as fringe beliefs um, and not mainstream. I mean, these are not fringe beliefs and not mainstream. These are lies. Uh, attached to a narrative that's usually toxic mm. and politically motivated for one reason or another. So I think to be really clear that these are toxic lies that are being spread usually to, to, to promote an agenda. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what they are. Um, and the, also to the lady, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, I'm so sorry. Alexandra. Uh, I mean, you said that the research hasn't shown there's been any increase. I find that astonishing, actually, that... You know, with the rise of internet and the rise of the kind of internet shouting factory that you mentioned in the echo chambers and so on, please go back and research it more because there, there, <laughs> there must, I find it really hard to believe that yeah. these kind of things are not becoming more prevalent and more toxic and more damaging to our society. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any research that shows that there's been an increase in these or not, but I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say very briefly that I agree uh, with this and you know, maybe we haven't caught up with the, you know, that it usually takes time to track, mm -hmm. you know, changes and so on. So it might be that it's happening. We're just a little bit of lagging behind. Mm. I mean, what it, what it means to be social in the 21st century is less and less about uh, where you grew up, your local community, and more about who you, uh, your shared ideas, your shared knowledge, you know, your fan belief in uh, Buffy universe or whatever it is you follow. You find people who agree with you and disagree with you. So it might just be that they're finding each other a little bit more, but I do agree we need to track it more frequently. Yeah, I, I do hedge my words. You are quite right that I hedge the terms I use to describe these ideas and, and beliefs that I call them and that I can understand that they are lies, that they definitely are untrue. Um, they, when I say they understand science, I mean they have read a hell of a lot of papers, maybe haven't understood them, and that might be the problem. Like you were saying, analytical thinking, haven't quite understood the point of these papers or... Uh, are sceptical of their findings in some way or another. Um, they, yeah, but they heavily read these papers. They, they at least understand and know scientists in the field and know the science in the field, if not 
understand it or, or uh, get the, the findings fully. Yeah. Um, there's a microphone. Thanks. Uh, the w two aspects of conspiracy that you haven't dealt with generally, one, criminal conspiracy, which happens quite a lot, usually, usually for material gain. That's one aspect. But then there's the other conspiracy which has been proven to be effective, i.e. state or ideological conspiracy. And I'm going to come to you, Toshka, because from your country, from 1922 on, the state has decreed clearly to all the people of Turkey that the Armenian genocide never happened. It was a conflict between the Russian uh, uh, Armenians and uh, the Russians themselves. And yet it has been pretty successful in that conspiracy theory in your country. And number two, the European Union, was it three years ago? They said quite clearly amongst all the European unions that the Armenian genocide did happen and that Turkey should uh, admit these facts. These are the kind of conspiracies I'm talking about. Did you have a comment on that? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, um, like uh, there is, like, uh, I grew up in Turkey and it's a taboo, like, uh, mm. but, like, taboo to talk about. And if you say something, you might be quite in trouble. And, I mean, like, uh, as a Turkish citizen, obviously, as a foreigner. I mean, like, uh, this is against, uh, like, um, official statement of history. I mean, there, there are many genocides happened in history. I'm not, like, uh, like, cleaning anyone from it, but no state... I have never seen any state coming out, and I mean, like, apart from Germany after the Second World War, coming out like we we killed those people. It's just kind of they try to, you know, put it under the dustbin, kind of like a try to, like, um, in their old historical. But then there is also in Turkey there are many brave people who are kind of like actually making campaigns about this, saying that this is a lie, and then we kind of like a, they, there is this campaign about genocide. But again, just if you turn the like uh, tables, the people who reject all these kind of Armenian claims is kind of, I, I checked them like a parliamentary proceedings. They are afraid in Turkish politics that Armenia will claim some of the Turkish land. So there is this, like a, there is this fear about the, the, the dismemberment that kind of like a, like a, that motivates the political elite. And like a, just maybe last thing, I'm not going to talk much, but then that fear was actually that was the foundation for it during the Ottoman Empire. You know, like the Ottoman Empire like gradually collapsed. You know, like uh, there was in, for example, in the in the mid 19th century, there was only in in for example in Serbia, they said like uh, the European powers and Serbians said like uh, we don't want Ottoman soldiers in the city, and then they pressured and then be more liberal, take this like uh, garrisons out, and they took them out, and then they said oh we don't want to see them flag because it agitates people, like in in Serbia. And then they took the flag out, and then like five years later they became independent. So like, and then obviously there are Turkish political history, and then like political elites knows this happened. So they are kind of like uh, over cautious if it could happen again, and like, uh, and therefore they unfortunately kind of like uh, um, make it official kind of statements, like uh, official positions in certain issues like Armenian genocide. Can I? 
add something? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you're right that uh, conspiracy theories uh, are used and for pro political purposes, right? So we know uh, historically that they've been used to justify genocides as well, right? So for example, yeah. during Nazi Germany, you could see an increase in sort of conspiratorial depictions of mm -hmm. Jews mm -hmm. uh, uh, across, mm -hmm. uh, the, as the war de was developed, right? To justify uh, genocide. And we can see this now as well, this sort of conspiracy uh, 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 talk, for example, about uh, the caravan in the, in, which is going through Mexico right now, right? You can already see uh, a sort of conspiracies about it being, for example, full of Muslim people for uh, some reason, right? Or, uh, and then this is basically justifying hostile acts against members of other groups, right? Suppression. So, suppression, yeah. right. And then, uh, obviously, if we believe they're part of a conspiracy that is out to get us, this will help people become sort of, uh, 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 as we call, morally disengaged and feel a bit more um, uh, accepting of, say, you know, not helping these uh, uh, these people or blatantly hurting them in a, uh, for political gains. So yeah, absolutely, you're right. So this, I mean, and that's why we're kind of trying not necessarily to get into this uh, debate where we try to understand why people believe that, but the fact that it's used as a propaganda tool is absolutely right. Right. Next question. Oh, hello. Um, I'm an editor at The Conversation, which is how Miriam knows my name. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, just had a question about how people what people who believe conspiracy theories think about um, trying to spread those theories. So um, we, you know, trolls are kind of an online problem for people mm -hmm. who work in, on, uh, in online um, um, media. And I just wondered, from what you've, uh, from your research, how important is it to people who believe conspiracy theories? Do they okay. therefore go out and convince others to believe their conspiracy theory? Is it, is it, is it only um, certain certain conspiracy theorists who think that. Um, I would say, I mean, most, a lot of articles about climate change, for example, would have people, and the trolls mm. just very much mm. dictate the debate in a way that they perhaps wouldn't in other, other, other right. uh, areas. So how important and how kind of toxic is that part of it, this, just this um, invasion of the space and the, and the debate? Was there any talk about that at the convention, for example, about how to reach... More. Yeah, they, they definitely, flat earthers want to be taken seriously. They want legitimacy and, and they want a, a role in the debate. More than anything, the, the, the area that they were excited about was their interaction with the, uh, the PhD students, the three PhD students. They saw that as their case for legitimacy, that they were on the stage debating scientists. That's all they wanted to do all weekend and what they were building towards heavily. So they seemed to really be concerned with getting it out there. And then they went on this morning afterwards and got mocked by Philip Schofield. And uh, they, they want press. They want any press that they can get at but do all. do they want more members? I think they might want more members, yeah. They, they advertised it as a day for, um, for non-believers as well. And for those who might not believe it, who might just be sceptical... Uh, so they, they do seem to be interested in converting. I would say the most upsetting part of the event and where it kind of hit me most uh, surreally was when a seven-year-old kid stood up and started talking about flat earth beliefs. Until that point, for me, it was a little bit of fun almost as a jaunt for a weekend of looking at these, these strange ideas. When I start seeing that they're spreading it to young children, that's when I get worried. That's when I, I start seeing concerns. So they are interested in, in laying foundations in that community, at least. I don't know about... And in general, would you say? Well, I think, yeah, there are, like, uh, groups like con based on conspiracy beliefs that I think, like, they are trying. But then the ones that I research usually are kind of one-off, like, a, or, like, a, someone, some influential figure, like, a, proposes some conspiracy theory, and people take on it. 
until this influential figure keeps talking about it, and then it just disappears because people kind of like like pretty much pragmatically lean on them. But there is a little bit of a probably this need to strike a balance between how popular a conspiracy theory is and how special it is mm. to know about this, right? Yeah. So there is work showing that people who like uh, or want to feel unique are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. So there is some appeal of this sort of special knowledge, you mm -hmm. know, and that we're seeing more than other people. So, uh, so possibly there is a sort of a need to, on the one hand, uh, uh, spread the uh, 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 beliefs and uh, spread the knowledge, but on the other hand, I think there is part of the part of the uh, uh, attraction is the fact that this is something special that we Exclusive. are privileged to know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I thank you. I'd like to say a few things. One of them is Tokai said uh, that some of the conspiracy theories came out to be true, but I thought maybe the conspiracy, like the chicken and egg. Maybe hmm. people talking about it, you know, grew the be belief and they thought they could do it. You know, they got the power yeah. from mm. the conspiracy theory itself. Mm. And mm. Uh, another thing I'd like to say is, uh, you know, every day in the newspapers, we see scientists saying something and then... You know, six months later, that they say completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. Salt is bad for you. Mm -hmm. No, salt right. is mm -hmm. good for you. You know, you know, and it's more likely around health and nutrition. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can think yes. of, and I think that also kind of shakes the credibility of scientific society. And one day they might say the world is round, but who knows? Two hundred, <laughs> two thousand yeah. years later, yeah. we discover that it's not kind it's, of. It's not round. It's an oblate spheroid, so not technically round. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think there are a lot of problems with how science is reported. Definitely, in terms of like as you were saying, salt or red wine is the common one, or chocolate is being linked to cancer, is being taken away from cancer. Yeah, I sound like an adv advocate for the conversation, but they do a brilliant <laughs> job with, with weeding out those sorts of discussions and making it a bit more substantive. But yeah. it definitely is a big problem. But there's a balance between trying to simplify something and what did we do in the study. We've, we actually found that this caused this or whatever, with also, you know, you, adding context. Well, in, you know, the last few years, research has mainly found this, and this study actually goes against that or whatever to add a bit of, of context, which most researchers are very happy to do. Yeah. Uh, but maybe sometimes, because of time pressures or anything else, um, that's not happened as much as it should do. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, not everybody is the conversation, right? So no. uh, some media are obviously interested in simplifying things. And even if scientists say, well, it's complicated, it, it depends, and it's nuanced, and then mm -hmm. depends on conditions. So salt might be bad for some people, but some people, some obviously outlets are not interested in that. They're just interested in the headline, uh, right? So that's the problem, I think, that we are facing as well in some of the uh, news media. But then trying to establish uh, uh, places where we can actually have nuanced conversation, that that are at the same time not too confusing mm -hmm. is the way to go, and we have to have more of that, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about the part that you said, like uh, if, you, if there's a conspiracy theory about certain people, they might believe that they can do it, and then they could at the end do it. I mean, possible. But I don't think everybody like it. Like in the, in, the, in the example I gave from Turkey, I don't think the people believed that they could do a coup because others were accusing them. People were already organized in the military and, mm. and <laughs> everywhere. So, you know, like, um, that's why people were talking about this. Like, 
Um, have sophisticated targeting tools uh, offered up by social media made it possible to weaponize conspiracy theories? And if so, should that be policed? And who should police it? Uh -huh. <laughs> I, th I think so. I I think uh, uh, fake news and specifically targeted fake news is obviously a problem. Um, I think most space most people would agree with that after the deconstruction that we're seeing with the American election and what's going on with the midterm elections right now. There are attempts to control or influence people. <coughs> We've seen it with Cambridge Analytica and so on. As for who regulates it, that is a, a big old debate that that continues to rage around if the internet should be a space for free speech where we sort out what's true and what isn't, or if we try and control somehow what is present online and what is correct and incorrect. There are tools for, for fighting these things that we saw wielded in the uh, American election. PolitiFact and, and fact-checkers were used during live debates, and, and I think Hillary Clinton kept telling people to go and fact-check Donald Trump, but we don't or at least not everybody would, or people, you know, some people would, some people wouldn't check it. I, I'm not too sure where I fall on the line of whether we should regulate it. I see the problem, I don't see a solution. Does anybody have a solution? Yeah, <laughs> please. Uh, it's a million dollar question, but I mean, like, one thing, I mean, I don't think we should police it. Like, what, if there's any resource, maybe it should be devoted to, to, to show people the right sources, or like, a, the, to, 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 to make more, like, a right sources to... I, like a right source of information. And like at the university, like at, at Oxford, I, I was supervising a group of undergraduate computer science students. And they were, I mean, like uh, I was supervising because they were working on making an app to, to recognize fake news. Right. I mean, it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> yet. So like, I mean, so, but I mean, there, there was, I think it could be done. Like, um, as much as I understood from their like uh, their knowledge, and then like uh, and they understood from me, it was it was a good step, and I think more professional people could do it much better. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think one. I mean, uh, it's obviously a, a complex problem, right? And there, it, we could debate about just this yeah. thing all night. But mm. I think to some extent, we. I mean, let's not demonize targeting. You know, online targeting so much. I mean. Uh, you know, targeted political campaigning has always right. existed. We just now have more nuanced information about uh, people uh, that we can mm -hmm. get, say, from Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, uh, data Facebook likes and so on. But, you know, the, it, it can be used for good uh, reasons as well, right? Targeted advertising, I mean, people get worried mm -hmm. about this, but in, in essence, you want to be presented products that you might be interested in rather right. than things that are completely irrelevant to you, right? <coughs> so uh, I think it's just the question of how we uh, <coughs> deal with this and whether people are aware of it or not and, how we, and whether we train people to recognize uh, when this is part of the propaganda. I think that's, uh, that's important. And obviously, because the problems with, say, Cambridge Analytica and so on, they go far behind the methods they're used, right? There's also the mm -hmm, issues mm -hmm. of unethical and illegal use of information and so on. And maybe there should be just better guidelines and ethical and, mm. and ethic, ethic guidelines and, and legal guidelines of what can and cannot be done. Hey, guys. I wanted to touch on the, the role of influence. Um, I think you all agreed that influence or having a role, someone of influence helps conspiracy theories. Um, take climate change, for instance. On one hand, you have so many people of influence saying that it's it's real, it's happening, but all it seems to take is one person right. of influence yeah. mm -hmm. on the side of the conspiracy theory to undo mm -hmm. all that work. So do you think that pro-conspiracy theory 
influencers have more of an impact mm. and why do you think that is? Yeah. In terms of, is it because they're controversial and they're getting more media coverage or right. what do you think the reasons are? Not necessarily. I mean, I think like, uh, you know, like it depends. I think like uh, also it depends on the audience. I mean, the audience, <coughs> whoever they respect. I mean, like the audience here could respect more scientists than the audience in Turkey, certain audiences could respect the political leaders. So I think it depends on the audience. And influential figures, I found it could be anyone. It could be... I mean, if you, if, you, if you trust the person, like social trust is something that is not only like, uh, given to, to, to prominent figures. So it could be the barber, like, uh, like if you trust them. I don't, but like, uh, so like, like especially in Turkey, they, they have a lot of conspiracy theories. But yeah, I mean, I think it depends like, um, on the audience and who they trust. And then yes, afterwards, yes, whatever they say, they, it, it, it could get publicity. But I mean, I think part of it is also, I mean, A, related to uh, a sort of a liberal approach to try to value our views, right? So you can't really see a, um, a climate chi uh, change debate without someone who'd be cl a climate change denier, even though some 97, 98% of scientists mm -hmm. agree that ch climate change is happening, right? But they're, you know, uh, journalists and in, in, in academia, we try to have balanced sort of mm -hmm. debates and balanced points of views, right? So then we sort of, in some way, maybe legitimize some of these uh, approaches. And on the other hand, I think uh, part of it could be that science is nuanced and scientists try to be uh, sort of careful about uh, how they present certain findings. So we often present, even, even in climate change research, things are often presented in a sort of tentative uh, way and maybe we're not sure and, mm -hmm. you know, studies vary but overall point to the conclusion. Well, often the conspiracy uh, uh, theories are framed in a very sort of convincing, straightforward way, right? This is definitely happening. This it's is more science. Yeah, mm. exactly. So it's in some way, the message might be more easily persuasive than mm. the sort of more, the maybes and the independence that we, <laughs> we tend to use a lot. I, I just wanted to sort of get your views on journalism as a whole, because I guess I, uh, I was comforted by some of your comments that this isn't an inevitable increase in fake news and conspiracy theories forever. But... Um, I sort of see the decline of paid newspapers, uh, right. real news websites being overtaken by, um, you know, other sources. And it feels a bit like journalism as a profession uh, is suffering. Um, and, you know, where when I grew up, you had a newspaper and you had a reasonable degree that it had been fact-checked a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, now we just openly slander journalists as a profession, uh, you know, as a whole. Um, and we're even allowing politicians to choose which journalists they engage with. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping that you'll tell me I'm a conspiracy theorist <laughs> and that there's all sorts of reasons to be comforted. I think, I think the game of journalism has changed quite a lot since the, the, the day of... of the prominence of print newspaper in that a lot of it revolves now around reaction to uh, and, and being the first person to speak on something. So you see straight after terrorist events a huge rise in people saying there's a second shooter mm -hmm. or that there's, um, that there's another event going on or that something's happened and that and that no one quite knows what the, what's happening because there's just this massive information online. And I think journalism is reacting to reactions they're starting to having to comment on other people's reactions so the game of journalism has changed quite significantly which affects 
what we're talking about and what, what is in the public conversation. It's no longer slow journalism. It's this quick reaction that I think is affecting knowledge in, in quite a, a, a dramatic way. I'm, I'm not sure I have good news for you, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I think some of the... I mean, something that I've just talked about, I mean, there is uh, something to say about this sort of idea of, you know, trying to, uh, you know, value or information and all attitudes and, and so forth. I mean... It reminds me of this uh, sort of meme that I saw where uh, it said that if you're trying to write a paper about uh, or a an article about whether it's raining, your job is not to say, quote, one source who says that it's raining and the other source who says that it's sunny, but to basically look out the window, you know, and check what is actually happening. And I think part of it is sort of this uh, uh, idea that all views are legitimate and valid, uh, which, you know, obviously has really good intentions, To sometimes is bringing us to this... Uh, sort of problems where, you know, even though we have a 98% versus 2% disagreement among scientists, we try to cover uh, both of the sides in the, say, climate change debate. Yeah. Well, I think that could... Uh, sorry. Like, so, no, 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 no. With regards to journalism and, like, fact-checking, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, especially in Turkish case, as far as I understand and people see, this kind of journalism could... Yes, like, good journalism, as, like, uh, people checking facts, yes, that could be something that is that could slow down the spread of these conspiracy theories. But there is also a certain type of, like, um, especially in Turkish media, you could see, like, state-sponsored or state kind of, like, a supported media. They always, even if it's a conspiracy or not, like, it's always a political message coming out. So that's also, I don't see, like, a journalism kind of dissolving into something and therefore conspiracy theories are increasing. I think it is, mm. journalists, like, I'm, I'm talking about certain journalists, but also the great sources of conspiracy theories as well. We're obviously hoping at Conversation to buy having academics <laughs> okay, and journalists yeah, working yeah, together. We, we, have, uh, we get the expertise, uh, experts writing about their area of expertise and not just an expert commenting on something that they're not an expert on. So we're trying to do our best. Anyway, uh, we had one last question, I think. Would the panel think that uh, religions are successful uh, conspiracy theories? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh. Conspiracy belief is related to religiosity, I guess. So mm -hmm. that's part of the answer, right? So generally, uh, uh, there is some sort of link. In, I mean, but that can be also linked to believe in the ma magical and the paranormal and so on, right? right. So some mysticism uh, uh, is involved. So in that sense, yes, uh, there is some reason to believe that is religious belief could be associated with greater conspiracy beliefs. But whether religions are great conspiracy theories, I... Um, I, 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 I would tentatively say, yeah, as, as someone who dabbles in philosophy quite a fair bit and was talking about Weber and mystification, yeah. I see it tied to that. This uh, idea to try and understand the world separate of science, to have some uh, way of understanding the world that is rational to you, that is not... Uh, like this complicated science that we have that is evolving and that continually changes but is a constant in your life, that you have a constant belief that doesn't change and that is immovable. I can understand the appeal of, of that sort of thinking and leaning towards what might be seen as mysticism today. Yeah. And in some ways, religions can fulfill similar functions that conspiracy yeah. beliefs can, right? So I talked about personal control, people who feel they don't really have 
control over their lives. They tend to believe in conspiracy theories more, but they also tend to believe in controlling God more, right? So if we don't mm. have control, there must be something else mm. out there that is pulling the strings, right? Okay. Uh, could be a, a group that is conspiring against us, could be a government, could be God that uh, uh, we basically, uh, you know, they, that works in uh, his or her mysterious ways. <laughs> mm. I'm not sure, Kirka. like, uh, yeah, I mean, that some questions make me think rather than talk, so, <laughs> so like, uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. So if you didn't get to ask a question, it's not because there was a conspiracy against you. <laughs> <laughs> Simply ran out of time. Um, thank you so much for coming. Thank and thank you. Uh, thank you to the panel. Thank you. That's it for this month. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can check out our program of upcoming talks at rigb.org. And if you'd like to support our work, please head to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Royal Institution. <laughs>